welcome back to Livid, celebrating the power and joy of rage with you once again. Our guest this week is the incredible, wonderful Ishani Perapanayagam. Ishani is a multi-genre chamber musician, orchestral pianist and music director. I first saw Ashani uh, and her work when she was in the amazing Amelia in the West End. I want to say it was the last year, 2019, but I have no concept of time anymore. Hard to tell, <laughs> isn't it? I think it was last year, Amelia. But an incredibly successful and really groundbreaking show. I think that really gave a lot to a lot of people that saw it. With the company, the music, everything was just spellbinding. But, well, both of us have been big fans of Vishani's work for a long time. Yeah, she's uh, she's also an, an incredible musical improviser. and um, She did all of the music for Livid. Yeah, That's you- Probably the first thing that work. we should have said. Yeah. <laughs> On second thoughts. <laughs> yeah, we especially love her uh, because she's here. She's a part of, she's a member of this livid team. Yeah, all our music, that amazing intro music that you just jammed along. Yeah, we gave Ashani a brief. It was music that makes you feel that you want to jump up and down in your bed, screaming, dancing along to it because that sort of music was the music that I grew up listening to. When I particularly felt cross, I would put music on and I would dance around. We wanted the music to emulate those responses that we had as young people growing up, trying to understand how we were feeling. And music's a massive part for both of us. And um, yeah, we had an amazing few meetings with the Shani, gave her a, quite a gobbled brief, like, <laughs> try and do something with that. And I mean, by the end of the week. No, you know what? It was literally, I think it was, it was like within the hour. And because she said to me uh, before the, before the music meeting, she was like, let's do it in the morning in case the muse visits me, which I thought was just such a lovely thing. And, yeah. um, and then she kind of, she got straight to it and she, she's so good at what she does. And I'd said to her, wow, you composed that really fast and, uh. And she said, well, I thought the muse might visit. She's just an absolute hero. What did she say to you when we first approached her to record an episode? She said she had rage in spades. Yeah. And we straight away knew that we wanted her to guest on the podcast as well as being a part of the the creative input to this project. Mm. And you'll see in this chat as well, you know, she has a lot of incredibly important things to say, um, especially with regard to racism, her experiences of racism and and all the stuff that's going on and has been going on for such a long time. Um, She's fascinating to listen to and really uh, it's... It's an important discussion, I think, and a beautiful chat. Yeah. Also, I think we've got the slogan on our first merchandise, Rage in Spades. Yeah, it's got to we could have spades. We could have the gardening equipment for our merchandise. <laughs> Do you know what? What wasn't my first choice? Definitely my favourite choice. When you dig in your garden, get <laughs> oh your God. rage in spades. It doesn't, it's not a very coherent marketing model. No, I liked it. I particularly liked that whoever was doing our marketing campaign was Northern because that was an important <laughs> part of the slogan. I think there's a niche there because it's very meditative doing gardening. It's a good way to, you know, you can both zen out with mm. your emotions and you can also dig into them I didn't even mean that as a pun oh oh my god but you can you know sometimes when you're digging a trench or a ditch or you know turning the soil you can get sweat on sorry trademark trademark copyright copyright in progress dig into the rage yeah we're gonna set up a website uh at some point oh I meant for our oh yeah we got one (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking of this huge gardening equipment operation (laughs) I didn't need to correct you yes you did if it was up to me we'd have seven different websites (laughs) nothing would be coherent just be a picture of you in a spade looking cross okay anyway anyway this is between us here's the shani the fire in me comes from that comes from my father yeah the fire in me comes from that perrin panayagam gene and uh i I think probably in terms of uh uh, seeing if i kick off they probably expect it from like our little leg of the perrin panayagams yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the good fire though. That's the bit where you're like, oh, that's the side. Do you find it sort of you go, oh, here it is just coming out of me again. Like that's definitely that side of my family that's 
Yes, it's um, it's very, it's tied up with morality and justice. So it's quite hard to keep in check, uh, and this is sort of a big thing for me, whether I should be or not, uh, because there's a part of me going, you're potentially about to overreact. But actually, I, I am fighting on the side of what I think is good. Yeah. So um, I remember I've sort of distanced myself from this thing, but um, I used to be really fascinated by Hannibal Lecter and how he used to go after baddies and then like massively overreact in the sense that he would do awful things, but often his uh, the people he'd pursue were proper baddies. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I feel like that about my fire of like, oh yeah, it's I can see why you've gone for that person. They possibly didn't deserve to have their face ripped off with your words like that. And your but team. maybe they did. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they did. I don't know. So that's definitely yeah. There's definitely like a a storm cloud gene that I would say comes from my father. Oh, I love that. I really like that because it's sort of there is fire there is anger and there are things that need to be said and so like that idea of controlling especially the idea of overreaction do you know what I mean I think that's something that people hear a lot or we're told a lot is like oh you're overreacting who decides what's an appropriate reaction and what's an overreaction because everything's obviously completely personal and you're you're expressing something that needs to be expressed I was thinking when you said about Hannibal Lecter a bit about I don't know if you ever watched Dexter no but it was I should yeah you know what it gets a bit rubbish later but it's well worth watching it's the same way he's a serial killer (laughs) (laughs) okay Um, um, but he uh, he goes after bad guys because he needs to kill, but he wants to be as good as he can be. Wow. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it's a similar kind of idea of like uh, channel that energy where it can do some, I don't know whether that's if it can do some good or if like where it's deserved or whatever that is. It can feel justified, I guess, yeah. that you can feel like you can justify <laughs> murdering bad people. <laughs> but yeah, someone's got to do it. Do they? <laughs> Do they? I'm gonna put that in as a question. Do they? Do you? Do you have to? Vigilante no. justice. See, this is the thing, though. Is I think it's to do with um, being listened to, and I don't think you'd have to resort to murder if you thought you could say, "You stop it. This is why." Mm. Yeah, and um, be heard. Yeah, I think that's the the problem. And it sounds like with Dexter, justice wasn't being done. So the people who were sort of meant to be maybe putting this person in prison Mm -hmm. um, weren't. Or, you know, even interacting with that person and going, you did a bad thing, do you know why? Overreacting often comes from delivering it... (sighs) delivering something to a person that isn't listening or for some reason in your life or society's life uh, you don't believe will listen Mm. I found that a lot in my uh, trying to deal with racism again uh, recently is that having spent so long being meek about it I've been saying things quite loudly or what's felt quite loud recently And people have either ignored me and sort of done the whole, I'm not a racist. Look, I know a black person. She was my child's nanny until I found her. Um, (laughs) uh, Other people sort of go, okay, and then engage in a conversation. And that leaves me feeling like I overreacted. But this desire to shout has come from somewhere. And I don't think I sort of made it all on my own because it is exhausting. And I've found that whether I get a win or a lose out of it, um, whether the person listens to me or not, I feel as exhausted at the end of it. So it's definitely like an explosion of something important. And it, there's definitely a feeling that I'm not going to be listened to. And there's I'm experiencing a fair amount of gaslighting from the baddies at the moment of like, oh, no, that's not what we said. A lot of that's not what we said. Uh, Not even that's not what we meant. That's not what we said. And that does just make you shout louder. The first thing that you said, and it's just not healthy conversation. Yeah. Because gaslighting is so much about a psychological manipulation more than anything else, making it about you and your perception. That's almost something to just feel even more closed down so yeah I think that's even more the reason why it might spark you to be louder and to be bigger to be heard because there's no way of proving that that isn't just something you've perceived as being a problem 
I was just wondering whether if down to so we can get into specifics shall we yeah. play our little game we'll... called eight things which is where we will without thinking we'd like you to list and they can be um as big or as small just the first things that come there's nothing wrong really that you can say <laughs> unless you come to the end you're like I love dogs I don't know why I said that I just felt pressured <laughs> uh, leave the dogs alone that's the one rule uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm censoring this podcast has no rules <laughs> apart from leave the dogs alone <laughs> leave the dogs alone um, um, no. no it's good uh, <laughs> so um, yeah there's nothing wrong but you know don't say that um, <laughs> you should but, really put that in your introduction email you would have been yeah. good to know about that yeah because you've already prepared eight yeah. dog specific <laughs> to play eight things yes number one racism number two uh people walking slowly next to me and not overtaking me properly <laughs> number three currently uh uh misogyny number four not listening number five uh what I, I know what I want to say. Um, I suppose selfishness or just not thinking about other people's sort of comfort and needs. Number six. Uh, milk jugs that don't pour properly. <laughs> yes! Number seven. Um, uh, oh, uh, the, the sound of, um, you know, when, when you can't get like a, a bag open. <laughs> you can hear someone trying to open a plastic bag and you know they're failing. And <laughs> uh, number eight. Um, uh, pain. Oh, very good. Bravo. <laughs> Thank um, you. Just for reference, I was quiet for all of the things you said until you said milk jugs not pouring properly. And I went, yes! Um, I feel the same about racism. <laughs> not listening just a reference for the yeah that milk jugs really made yeah. me cross so the way they, they drip down their necks and then make a little circle around the base that sort of yeah like it's it's all grubby and then there's no milk in your tea and yeah. there's milk on your hand someone designed that number one someone designed that someone else thought it was a good idea yeah mm-hmm. uh, and then places bought them like oh this looks pretty even though it's sort of a, a rounded off cup that doesn't do anything no <laughs> no they literally uh, don't do the job that they've been designed to do no. they literally their one job is to pour milk yeah. and they don't do it bad no. design oh, do you bad. think yes do you think that happens more when people try and be fancy about their milk jug design? You know, when you get the milk jugs that are like a little pretend carton or like a cow and it comes out the nose? I feel less angry about those and that there's more about the design. The ones that I really hate are the ones that are like, they just look like cylinders with the top cut off and they have this tiny little like <laughs> miniature bird half beak. Are they usually yeah. metal ones? Oh, with yeah. A metal yeah. handle. Yeah. Yes. Fuck them. Yeah. yeah, entirely. Yeah. <laughs> but that has gone through all the different stages of yeah. thought and planning and finance and design and all of that to get to the stage where they still don't do their fucking job. Yeah. Someone's still gone, uh, yeah, that looks pretty. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely about like, oh, that is pretty over functional. Like, oh, it looks like a tidy little lump. We'll yeah. Have that. Or there's a technique to it. There shouldn't be a technique. There are no. two stages of pouring milk. No. There shouldn't need to be like a flourish or... No. One, not one where you have to pour it from such a height that what does go in makes the tea come out. Yeah. So yeah. it goes plop and then it goes over the edges. Yeah, no, none of that is okay. <laughs> the world's falling apart. We don't need any of that shit anymore. Right, banning uh, it. While we're on the slightly smaller issues of the day, <laughs> and this is not to diminish your rage about them in any way, um, can you explain a bit more about people who can't open plastic bags and make a slight sound? It's... it's, it's the fact that I can't concentrate on anything else until it's done, so it's not necessarily the people, although the rage just does go to the people, but it's that uh, 
anything but where it's just not done. So I suppose a more obvious one would be like opening sweet wrappers in a theatre quietly. <laughs> it's like, why are you not done yet? So I suppose with plastic bags, there's something about it that is so quiet that once it's got my ear, yeah. that's that's all I can hear. And then when I come out of it, everything's really loud. Yeah, and you would rather that they did it quickly, even though it's more, ultimately it feels more disruptive. It's over yeah. faster and uh, oh. they're trying to get away with something that ever. Everybody yeah. can hear anyway. Yeah. Did that happen quite a lot at work then if you're sitting suddenly in a pit and you can just hear like... Definitely. So like, is and this a right. sound I should be improvising to? Should I in some way involve this in my creation? Oh. No. And it, yeah, it's, it's just this... I suppose it links to other things that I was thinking of. It's this lack of awareness of what other people are experiencing and just actually just going would be more considerate. I'd also like to throw in um, something about me and lack of awareness in that that very point comes from me uh, not immediately having as part of what I'm built on um, an awareness of people who would do that for all kinds of reasons and not be aware. Um, You know, there are all kinds of reasons not to be aware of those things. Um, And so that's a crapness in me. Um, But yeah, I it's a really big thing for me people maybe it's because I'm a musician I don't know particularly sound wise uh encroaching on my personal space essentially Mm. Uh, and it's much harder to call out when if someone's standing four centimeters from your face uh if if you said get away from my face they would understand what you're saying whereas I feel sound in a similar way I suppose yeah and it's you know it just it makes you come across as much more devery if you start talking about sound in a similar way. That's really interesting because, you know, I think everyone can relate to that in terms of, I mean, we we talk about noise pollution and we talk about the way that sound can also, in other instances, be incredibly aggressive sometimes, you know, like um, it doesn't have to be physical closeness for someone to be even for someone to be intimidating or uh, or annoying, like on, on that kind of spectrum. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to kind of think about it. I really hate hearing people chew and eat. It really gets to me and it makes me feel really uncomfortable if I can hear it, if I'm sat mm. close to somebody who's chomping. To a point of actual stress, like it actually makes starts to make me really stressed, but I have to walk away. I think at one point though, I can't really show this on a podcast, but I we were eating lunch and I just looked, I just glared at my friend and he was like, Am I? Can you hear me eating? I I know, I'm a terrible person, but I was like, yes, you need to stop. (laughs) I've I've had a couple of um, recordings recently, kind of podcasty ones actually, where, um, I mean, there are all kinds of reasons why we need to sort of applaud sound engineers, and I think we're really feeling that at the moment. Um, But just hearing people's mouth noises, and I've really felt for people like you, Lauren, um, because I know a couple, where I just think, you know, if if you can't deal with kind of chewing gum and things, that must be the same. Just hearing all those, I'm not going to do them now for obvious reasons, but (laughs) all those sounds where you you just know it makes people just uh, kind of retreat like turtles. I I think I've got now I'm quite aware that I might have a loud mouth because I... <laughs> you, you don't. <laughs> no, we actually had this a small discussion about this when we were recording our trailer because um, I had to do it several times because my mouth was dry and then Lauren had to do it several times because she was dribbling. So I think it's oh. <laughs> different ways of uh, handling pressure, you know. This is why we're such a good team. We're such a yin and yang. <laughs> so, Ishani, you're listening is amazing and we so we talked about earlier on just moving it away from the fact that Helen says I dribble because <laughs> it's completely true and I'm just we might have to enjoy this um you mentioned about something beautiful you said was something called a storm cloud gene I wrote down mm. earlier which is such a it might not be beautiful to have but I don't know how you feel about that being a part of you but I love that so much when you said that earlier and so much of that being wrapped in your dad's side of the family and I wondered quite recently you started to speak out more and sort of use that as you said things have started to fire up in you what does that look like? Um, I think partly it's been to do with lockdown and isolation in that I've had nobody to run my ideas past 
I've had nobody to absorb any of my rage. So I'm, uh, yeah, isolating. I, I was isolating on my own. Um, so I was just left with these sort of stormy feelings and I wasn't hitting any whatever it is that storms do mountains to calm them down a bit. So I was getting right to source and doing my shouting there. Um, it's quite a, it's a longish story involving, yes, my father, the storm cloud gene, uh, the fact that he passed away quite a long time ago and then having to carry this gene on my own that always seemed to get me into trouble. Uh, just not into trouble, but just, I suppose, emotional trouble. I wasn't very good at, I don't know, getting this fire out of me soon enough. So uh, I was very binary about it, I suppose, of like, smiley, 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 I'm hearing you, I'm logging it all. And now I'm going to take your face off. Um, rather than, I suppose, rather than engaging in a dialogue sooner, I suppose, again, this fear of not being heard. Mm. Uh, I suppose I became very aware of if I'd had conversations with people, I would tend to, if, if you know, they were closed-minded about things such as equality, I would tend to write them off. And it's become, no, that's not really good enough. I'm going to call you out. And there was no one around really to say, this is going to make you really unemployable. Um, so I just went for it anyway and that's kind of how it happened and the experience of that too because I mean I feel like me and Lauren both had a similar response hearing that because they're absolutely calling people out should not make you unemployable and that's obviously part and parcel of this whole thing is that and a bit like what we were saying earlier with the gaslighting that you know regardless of how you manage your reaction or how or when you choose to speak or what you said about the exhaustion regardless of a win or a loss because there are real world real world implications all the time and um and that when people bring it down to this is just a thing that you feel or this is just something in your perception that you need to deal with you know the reality of that crunching against what you're being told I suppose just fuels that and and then finding a way to and then you're trying to find a way to deal with that situation but with this same umbrella of, well, still, how do I say this? How do I say this? How do I correct this? Because you're still then in that instance calling that behaviour out. Yeah, I've really found myself a victim of people trying to swamp what I initially said. Um, So I'm in uh, ridiculous backwards and forwards with an institution that should know better, um, where I came to them with my concerns over racism and it's become sidetracked to whether someone did or didn't say something about uh, women at some point. And that's that's all we can talk about. So I'd got in touch to say, I'm concerned about uh, your silence on this subject. And somehow it, we're talking about this. Right. And they're saying, we didn't say this. It's like, but we're, that's, that's not why I came to you. Um, and so it's that has been really exhausting and concerning and boring Mm. um and it has been really difficult uh to well the thing I keep coming back to is so it's a thing actually my therapy person said uh was that I when I would get emotional uh and I'd start to cry or, or um sort of lose my stillness um I would really fight to get words out uh, and I would want to say the thing before I lost it. And she would always say, what is it about your showing of emotion that makes you think you're being unclear? Yes. And I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's probably not my fault, whatever it is. I don't know where it's come from, but I think that's really interesting in that from her point of view, she was getting as much meaning from what was happening all over rather than me trying to spit out the last few words of a sentence. Yeah. It's almost removing the emotion so that the words are more important, but surely just seeing that you're emotional, whether that's angry or upset, should be enough in some ways to show that a boundary has been crossed or you're not happy about a situation, but you have to be able to articulate that well. 
Oh, oh God. Not even just well, I don't think. Like, perfectly. Yes. And, you know, it's like this idea that you... Now, the the onus is on you to articulate this perfectly, devoid of emotion, while still expressing and articulating the emotional impact that it has on you. And it's there is really... You know, there are just so many pitfalls set up for... um, for you to be able to express what you need to express in the way that feels honest and real and and how you feel and what you need to say and for people to hear it. It's like all of these reasons why I'm not going to listen, all these reasons why I'm not going to hear what you're saying or all of these reasons why I'm going to say, well, because you said it in this manner or because you're in some way emotionally connected to this point, it's void. Definitely. And I think I definitely going from a place where I would think, oh, God, I've been left with this gene uh, and no one to train me how to handle it. What am I supposed to do with that to um, sort of embracing what it's for, which is kind of like a safety mechanism to ensure I'm being heard and not stamped on. It's like a it feels like a when you're a normal little person in a computer game and then you get some power up. And you start glowing with fire on the outside. Uh, And it's like, try and come for me now. We'll we'll try this again now. We'll see what happens. And I think that's how it feels. It feels like um, it doesn't come out unless provoked. Uh, The thing that is hard about racism, for example, is that there's however many years of it being provoked. So it's kind of out. Yeah. Um, So that can be quite sort of startling when someone is ready to listen and you've come with your sort of glowing force field out and teeth out and all the rest of it that can be quite hard to reconcile in yourself because you feel like you've overreacted uh, but that's a bigger thing of history and uh things that um i'm only just starting to put words to i'm very much a child of a situation where um or a child of a society where we haven't spoken about it for so long that actually I have got words. No, the opposite. I have got feelings that haven't been allowed to have words put next to them. So that's also what's hard about fighting these gaslighters is that I'm finding all of these sentences for the first time. Yeah. And they are sheer emotion. And, you know, as we've said, there should be a universal translator in everybody that can feel what and why without me having to use my words. Uh, and I'm fe- very much feeling the pressure of that at the moment as someone with a brown face and a painfully middle-class voice. Of people are more willing to listen to me in a kind of a, here's a language we understand. You might, you know, them coming to me as someone that they they know that I know the rules of how they interact, I suppose. Yeah. And that, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm going to feel it if I lose my shit because I've been growing up by the same rules. So I'm quite aware that I have all this airtime and unwritten rules as to how I'm supposed to use it. Uh, It's, yeah, yeah, it's that feeling um, of do I lose the airtime if I do suddenly go emotional and storm storm cloud over it? I don't. Mm. No, uh, and definitely when I've been more outspoken, people have been more, we didn't really do anything wrong. And it's, yeah, it's right. really hard. Yeah, yeah. Because you mentioned that this is something that you didn't really know how to deal with when you were younger. How did you deal with it when you were younger compared to, and when was the moment when you really realised that you could use this as a sort of power-up energy for yourself? Um, I suppose... It's difficult in that, so I was brought up by amazing, loving parents uh, who moved over from Sri Lanka um, and I think were quite aware of the country they were in. I mean, I feel entirely British, but I think part of that is from a desire for us to fit in and not be threatening. So I think there was this understanding that me being sort of loud and not afraid of confrontation or being sort of open about being good at certain things uh all of that would make me unlikable Mm. and so keep your head down it's very much sort of model immigrant keep your head down work really hard you can do anything you want if you work hard enough 
Um, and so it was a long time before I questioned anything. Um, and, you know, I, my fire was used for personal situations of, I mean, lack of loyalty uh, is a, was a big thing uh, and is a big thing, but was a big thing through my teenage years. Um, and so sort of I was terrible at writing off people for certain things that I thought were telling of bigger personality issues. I was quite um, unforgiving, I think, and very much uh, the fury of silence, very much a silence, not silent treatment. I just sort of uh, decided that that was done. That, that's how my storm cloud would be. But in terms of bigger things, it was late, late, late on. Uh, that I realised it was a thing. And it's when I started saying, oh, maybe this is a thing. And I would get shut down. Yeah. Which I hadn't expected. Um, people just saying, no, there isn't a problem. And then talking over me. And then me thinking, oh, this is this is the problem in action right here. Uh, it was fine while I was playing the part. And I was the person who uh, did sit in the corner and not so very much. So I was, yeah, a very fiery 17-year-old, big history of taking on uh, teachers that I felt weren't doing their job properly. And then parents died, uh, and there was depression thrown in there as well for like a decade. But essentially, I became a person who would sit just quietly and listen, and that was what I seemed to be, or seemed to have become. And it's basically this 17-year-old who's resurfacing with, you know, obviously help of therapy and antidepressants helps, uh, but also sitting on my own and not, like I said, not having people to go, I think this is a good idea, or yes, you're justified. I mean, the amount of times uh, over the last kind of few years I've needed to run my ideas by a white man to say, yes, that does sound racist to me, is <laughs> just, like, that's so problematic yeah. in so many ways. <laughs> no, you're not overreacting. That sounds like that guy uh, is totally sexually harassing you. Uh, you should make that stop. If you would like, I could support you in doing that or whatever it is. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, I'm very much a child of the system. So it's now, yeah, manifesting itself in, I'm going to say stuff out loud and see what you do with that. Good. I'm glad, you know, and uh, <laughs> so many layers of things to deal with, especially what you're saying about your own journey of understanding this stuff, because your own journey of starting to be able to put words to feelings or even to realise what something really is. I suppose, do you think that beforehand any of that stuff was that you were just internalising it as part of you until you realised that it wasn't part of you? Yeah, it definitely became um, self-loathing of it must be you, Ishani, that is not good enough or you didn't say it loud enough or clear enough. So yeah, the more I didn't get listened to the quieter I would get um, and the more I'd retreat and then the less like it, likely it would be that I would have an opinion even about sort of what restaurant do we go to it would be I would rather not put forward an opinion I would think I didn't care and maybe I didn't but also I think the idea of me saying oh yeah I fancy a curry and then us not ending up at a curry mm. was quite hard for me to deal with mm. um and that's sort of a, a thing about me. And what's really, what's put me in a really fortunate position right now is that um, I'm a brown face in the midst of Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. So it's actually quite, it feels quite good to fight because it doesn't entirely feel, I mean, it's all of our lives and it's all of our problem. It's such a specific problem, a disaster that is the way black people are treated globally, um, that it feels... I've been saying this to a lot of black people. It feels like I've got an extra little buffer before I feel that hit directly to my heart, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, because I'm not having my neck stamped on in the street and being arrested unfairly or searched or being treated like a criminal in shops or universities. The racism that comes my way is very different. And it is about mostly about being heard or being, you know, whether I'm seen as a someone who's capable of leading or being in charge or all of those things. It's a very different category. So it has given my storm cloud, uh, yeah, just some more density, being able to get power from the fact that there are elements of it where I don't have to fight myself. Mm where I can look on it from the outside and just go, no, that is bullshit. 
And do you think seeing those, because seeing those things more clearly from a slightly uh, altered or a slightly outside perspective to some of it allows yeah. you to see the things that are happening to you more clearly as well? Yes, definitely. Um, and it has been really interesting because uh, a thing that I can do with Black Lives Matter is shout about it uh, without people necessarily thinking uh, angry at me because... I'm not black, so they don't, you know, what's more likely to happen is that they go, sorry, sorry, what? Did you say something? <laughs> and so in terms of uh, that, that's quite easy to hear, um, is that I can, from being able to take that step back and see that from the outside and then see people, see the way people treat me without it being quite so immediate mm. has been really interesting. It has been really interesting to see what things make me angry and what things don't. And the things that make me angry can seem small, but then as the conversation progresses, it always turns out to be a big baddie thing. Yeah. Where you just think, you're, treat you're not treating me very well in this conversation. I don't think you're listening to me. Oh, you're a massive racist. Right, got it. Like, it won't always surface blatantly early on, but it tends to get there. So... Yeah, I've learned to trust my instincts a bit better. And do you feel that's led you, especially with the job that you do, you've mentioned quite a lot about these baddies, these big baddies, mm. um, and the fact that you're starting to come to blows with people where it's, like you've mentioned the words unemployable for speaking out how is that starting to look now that you're speaking out more and the fact that you're taking almost that block away from you by going I know who my I know who my baddies the big baddies are for me and I know where I need to direct it and I don't need to check in necessarily with that white man anymore to say is this okay that I feel this crap um it's been really positive actually in terms of I mean in terms of whenever you wear yourself on the outside you tend to find better matches so uh the things that have been coming my way have just been with people that I would love to work with or am loving working with um and people who where I can say these things and they listen or discuss or are already on that same page I have very much realised, I think it's partly with getting older, um, my sister used to say this to me about uh, when I was younger, I used to be able to mould myself much more easily into what people wanted from me. I used to sort of, from a slightly outside perspective, look and think, oh, I see what the game is here, I see what you want here, and make myself into that shape. Whereas now, I don't really want to, because I remember saying to her, I don't know why I can't play this game anymore, I used to be so good at this. And she said, well, I think as you firm up as a human being, more things just aren't worth it anymore. And I do feel that a bit, in that if there are dickheads that don't want to employ me for me saying racism is bad... That's probably mutually exclusive in that I, I don't want someone who doesn't... I mean, they, they wouldn't have wanted me anyway in the first place, right? If they think racism is fine, they probably don't want a brown face on their team. Yeah. So in that sense, I've found more and more artistic matches the more outspoken I've been. What's quite nice, actually, is because I have been so outspoken, the bits of work that are supposedly coming my way for, you know, what it's like in the arts, right? We'll see. Uh for next year they know what they've hired so if some nonsense goes down they'll know what they've put in their rehearsal room or whatever so much of the pushback or the you know when people have spoken out about what's happened over the last couple of months with black lives matter but also just anybody saying maybe we just shouldn't <laughs> be racist anymore that would yeah. that would be great but it's taken to the fact sorry i've just like the biggest bin van has I just can decided hear it, like, do you need to be here now? Make me so mad! <laughs> Talking about racism! But it's also, I guess, yeah. knowing that those opportunities to work in places or with people that aren't wanting to be oblivious to their racism um, and are wanting to listen to you are becoming yeah. hopefully more available because if the only places available, if the, if the norm is completely unaware, no self-responsibility, racism then you know you speak up you lose that job it's like knowing that these these things that are coming to you now are hopefully going to be existing more and more and more and that re yeah. hopefully you know what I mean that's the process of of replacing it's this or nothing <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and I think that there's something about people who are less afraid of being wrong who understand that 
being wrong is just a process to making things better. Mm. And there have just been more and more people where, I mean, sort of painfully few, but more and more people where you can say this is a miss and they open up a conversation without um, just, you know, planting their faces on the floor and going, I'm sorry, and then you can't get anything else done. Yeah. Um, and that's been, that's been really heartening. I've been thinking a lot about how afraid people are of these flashes of rage, actually, mm. and how it's, it's a fear of provoking that in someone else but for their own sake. So rather than thinking, I'm mortified that I've offended you, how can that be better? How can I be better? It's more a trying to avoid that sense of fear in themselves, uh, which is what's making people sort of reverse and uh, sort of tiptoe around all these things. Um, it's this fear of anger, which then, I mean, this is a messy thing um, that I don't have any answers to. It then made me think about male anger um, and at its worst that can end up in all kinds of violence. Yeah, I don't really have an end point to that sentence. I suppose the question that, that I was asking myself is is it justified to be afraid of anger? Uh, that's, as far, yes. that's as far as I got. It's such uncharted territory. It's really jumping in and seeing what happens and why being angry has such a different, well, d- different opinions to what being sad or sad or upset or distressed or anything around the the emotions where people don't feel comfortable to know how to deal with them. Allowing yourself that anger and allowing yourself the the safety and knowing that the reason for anger that we talk, we've talked about so much is about having a boundary crossed. It's not necessarily every time you're angry you want to punch somebody in the face. It's more, it might be, and that's, you know, that's maybe how you deal with it. But we're finding more and more that it is literally about going, something's just pushed me over to an edge that I'm not comfortable with. And this is what it makes me feel like. And there shouldn't, there, there doesn't need to be any shame in that. It's just telling you what you feel comfortable about yourself. And it definitely seems to be a pattern, um, depending on who that person is, whether they feel okay about sharing that. And there's a lot of people, a lot of women that don't feel comfortable to say, hold on a minute, that's crossed the boundary now and I'm not comfortable with that and I'm going to tell you to stop or I'm mm. going to try and put a pin in what whatever's happening here and we're going to explain it because that's where it gets that's where it gets tied up in, yeah, the confusion of feeling comfortable to say something out loud. Yeah, and there's so much uh, nonsense that people come back with about trying to make out that anger is always chaotic. So yeah. uh, dismissing what you're saying because you're angry as chaotic without actually listening to the words which because I was just thinking about whatever sentence you just said Lauren which was so clear and it wouldn't be less clear as words if you shouted it uh, mm. but it could be something that would make certain people dismiss you you know if you yell you've crossed a boundary at someone that is so clear but you could see some dick could go Whoa, at you uh, and then yeah. you punch them in the face um, <laughs> not condoning violence <laughs> <laughs> I wish people would actually listen and I don't just mean to words to all the data that's there and not just dismiss it when it becomes forceful it's just cowardly and Mm. lazy and people who don't who aren't able to either articulate themselves I've I've worked a lot with people who've got Asperger's or autism who aren't either they're non-verbal or they or they have very limited vocabulary or able to express themselves but a lot of the students that I work with were incredibly emotional and you could tell that it's just it could come from a level of frustration but so much of what they be these people would be feeling would be passed off as a certain you know difficult they're difficult or they have a, a difficulty expressing themselves and I'd be like I can see exactly how that person is feeling right now they're really angry or upset or frustrated they just don't have the words I think it's on that level of unless you can tell me very clearly in a very good English accent that you are unhappy then we can have a conversation about how you're feeling um yeah that that's the first barrier that we have to get past anything after that is just you're just being emotional yeah and it's this this feeling of um yeah you have to calm down before you speak um so you have to take you know sort of blunten that knife before you can deliver uh, what you have to say maybe it's the clarity of what's being expressed actually that is so alarming to people yes yeah, so I, I worked with someone who had has sort of severe autism and learning difficulties and I found him so clear 
uh, in that, you know, you'd be doing something. And if he wasn't into it, he'd stand up. It's like, well, yeah, I, I, <laughs> that's like the clearest thing you can do. Um, it's whether you want to understand, whether you, yeah, whether you can't bother or don't want it or <sighs> realise that it's about flaws in you. I wonder if it's, it makes me sort of feel that it's related to what you were saying about this really all being about the, the emotions of the receiver of the information. Because if you want, if you expect somebody to articulate something with clarity, that then obviously doesn't necessarily mean that that person's more likely to listen to you because you've done that. It just, it's just, you're just trying to eliminate the reasons that they can directly dismiss what you've said. But then I also wonder whether the demand for articulate clarity and non-emotionalness is also to give the receiver a reason not to listen in a way because if you've articulated a point then I can articulate a counterpoint and we can have you know um, an academic discussion which negates your lived experience and um, and that's a tactic that's a quite you know uh, clearly a subconscious tactic but obviously one or you know who who knows who knows how conscious this is because all of us are experiencing this thing in ourselves differently right as we kind of realize these things and I just I, I also wanted to kind of draw up on what you said about again the emotion of the receiver you know the tears or what you said about especially white male rage and I think things that I've certainly heard about whether this is interchangeable but let's say white male rage and let's say white female tears um that regardless whichever way around that comes that somehow the emotion of the receiver is acceptable as a way of pushing you yeah. back but that your emotion is not acceptable as a means of communicating what's wrong yeah definitely in that i think we can all picture a situation where um i call someone uh, a sexist or a racist and the person flies off the handle mm. and it stops being about what I said and I'm the aggressor somehow. Or you're supposed to broach those things so gently. I had a really great time on social media straight after Black Tuesday when all the white allies were out in force. I mean, some of them have gone back to bed now, but that was a particularly golden time. Uh where people were standing up to racists and I was able to just sort of pop into a thread, uh, empower the white allies and then go away. Just say like, oh, thanks for standing up to the racists and I'd go away and I'd come back and this person would go, who are you calling a racist? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then you just pop back and go, you, and go away again. And they'd be like, how dare you ask Australia to explain herself? Uh, <laughs> it was like the total opposite of what I've explained of like, Let's get the grammar check out and make sure I put all the prepositions in the right place. Spell check it four times. Just being able to go, you, smiley face, left. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, a big change. And even if some of that stays, that'll definitely be progress. But yeah, being able to emotionally vomit out what I'm feeling and leave it there. And for some people to hear it and for that to be plenty. And for some people to hear it and not have to sort of... Um, put up like some kind of windshield to steady themselves for it just to be information um that hits their ears and eyes i have i've been thinking about that too mostly in terms of my own self is that people who've known me for a long time don't see this fieryness that's coming out now as a big surprise even people who didn't know me when i was 17 i think they could always see it and maybe they could always hear it maybe they could always hear it in the four words that i would say yeah. when popping out of the corner and it's there are a fair few questionable people who are more like, oh, this wasn't the deal. Uh, you were meant to be the quiet one that did what I said. What's happening now? <laughs> I wouldn't have spoken to you if I thought you were this person. Whereas actually I'd be really surprised at the people who... Because uh, there's a part of me that feels like I treat people unfairly by having, you know, spent... You know, particularly in terms of my professional life, however long, being quite meek and hardworking and only piping up when it was important, um, supposedly, um, to now just having an opinion all the time or just being able to throw it out there or calling people out. And actually the people who are my closer friends, it seems like they saw it the whole time and maybe saw that there was something wrong on top of that. Um, but it hasn't felt like I've blindsided them with like, this is the uh, refusing to grow up angry teenager that I've always been and will always be waiting to dye her hair rainbow colours as soon as she goes grey. <laughs> it's going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> 
I just think this is interesting that like the way that we perceive how other people see see us if we're being quiet, right? If you if you think that you're molding to what you're supposed to be and then when you let yourself kind of come out that uh, a it's interesting that people aren't really surprised and and also that people kind of love it and I think that's the case because you actually, you know, um however much you force yourself into a certain shape or a certain box or kind of push yourself down to accommodate other people's expectations you your you, your you-ness your life force is much less easy to conceal than I think that we sometimes tell ourselves you know and really it's a it's a bonus like having you be all you <laughs> is a bonus to everybody you've gone th- through such a an experience to almost go I'm desperate to use a sort of weather analogy but I'm trying to put it together (laughs) but the fact that it has become from something that was so uncontrollable and this storm cloud that's just been hanging over you that you've sort of curated this more so like a really perfect storm to just go right I'm ready to unleash this cloud now when it feels right and when I feel like my boundaries have been crossed or when I'm really angry or upset or it feels like the clarity in the journey that you've gone through is incredible to hear and to see now that I'm just so excited to see where it goes for you even more that it's been released in a way that that you are in control of you've not stopped it you've not gone I just won't be angry you've just gone what do I do with this it's a power for me Mm. that I can use I think it's really beautiful to see it's really exciting thank Just... you yeah i think it's either prime minister or jail <laughs> yeah my two options at this stage you can always oh. do So by the time this episode goes out, Shani should be, in theory, it's 2020, so who knows, um, should be touring with Mischief Theatre Company on their Mischief Movie Night. Um, Venues include Wandsworth, Regent's Park and the Minac in Penzance, which is a very beautiful place. Google it and see if she's there. And if she's there, go see it. Because also the Mischief people are fantastic and really, it's going to be a really good night, I'm sure, or a really good day. I don't know if they're doing matinees. (laughs) You'll have fun anyway. Yeah, their stuff is amazing. We are going to link all of Ashani's socials, Twitter, Instagram, and her website onto the description. So have a little click through and follow her. She will be always doing incredible things because she's always doing incredible things. (laughs) And also, I really recommend having a look at some the stuff she's put on YouTube. She made a musical snake. No, wait, let me rephrase that. You know the game Snake? Yeah. She's added music to a game of Snake uh-huh. and I've never watched something so tense and amazing. <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's a lot that's tense and stressful, but this particularly is just beautiful and brilliant. Yeah, big fan of that woman. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure and joy to get angry with her. So It was. So thanks for listening to yet another Livid Broadcast. I don't know why I think I'm on... There used to be this show which was like a pretend radio station in the apocalypse. And... um. It was just people pretending that they were on this pirate radio station, you know. I suppose Ah. that's what now feels like. Feels like we're on a pretend radio station in the apocalypse. But every time I try and record anything, I get into this, like, radio. So tune in next time. Bye. Bye. (laughs) You can tweet the show using the hashtag LividPodcast or follow us on Instagram at LividPodcast and share what makes you furious. Livid is brought to you by Playwell with music by Ashani Perimpanayagam. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode.